HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the University of California Press, publishers of Meat Planet, Artificial Flesh and the Future of Food by Benjamin Alds Wergaft. Learn more at ucpress.edu. This week on Meet and 3, we're examining the true cost of convenience when it comes to when, where, and how we eat. Dark stores enable workers to eat without any kind of thought to how they're getting their food or how it might have come to be. DoorDash, Uber, and Lyft in the past have pledged to spend $90 million to try to exempt themselves from the law. I could be wrong, uh, but I, I think there's going to be significant regulatory pushback on driverless trucks. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 155 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today on October 8th, 2019 at 6.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I am a thousand percent sure that every single one of them is listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. And today we have a little bit of a small round table, coffee table show with two founders. They both are bringing farmers and farm market products to consumers. First, we have Chris D'Amico, whose company Farmed is based in Atlanta, and it is a B2B marketplace connecting farmers to restaurants. And sitting next to him, we have Wen Jae Wing, who is Local Roots NYC. And she has a kind of like hybrid CSA subscription online shopping model that connects farmers to regular people like you. So I'm going to thank them both for coming and we're going to kick off the show like we always do, talking about apps, old ones that have been living on your home screen for like 10 years, new ones, maybe one you just kind of lost because you updated your iOS and then it crunked out your app because it needed some of the platform backend that got wiped out. The only rule, because this is an entrepreneurial crowd that we have here on Tech Bytes, is that you're not allowed to talk about an app that you invest in or own. <laughs> I had to say that my favorite app I use is a ruler app and a converting app. <laughs> so I can just use my phone as a ruler and the other app 
helps me convert. It converts currency measurements, weights um, and measures, kilos, kilos to pounds, anything. That kind of thing. And I also do. I was in Mexico recently, so it does pesos to U.S. dollars. So it's kind of like a universal converting app, which is great. So the the ruler one is that one of the level set rulers? Because I for a while had that on my phone, where you use your phone mm-hmm. to see if something's level if you're say installing a bookshelf yeah i don't use that that functionality of the app um i like to use my eyes for that but i'm also i'm not i don't tend to build bookshelves yet but i do use it a lot for the ruler app um just basic things like this is three inches (laughs) i don't know why i use it so much but i do what was the last thing you measured I think I was on the airplane and I measured someone's, I was measuring how big someone's laptop was because I was trying to compare it size-wise to a sticker I wanted to get printed for the side of a home delivery box. (laughs) Pretty nerdy, but it's those little things you can do like on the subway or um, on a ferry ride to like make use of your time if you're trying to get something done for work. So what's the name of your ruler app? Oh my God, I think it's called like Ruler 2.0. I should check. I wish they I'm had, sure there's a bunch of I wish of they them. had fun app names, like I rule, <laughs> or like you oh, rule, you know, but they're always like something boring, like ruler 2.0. Maybe because it's developed by somebody who's not Native American speaking and doesn't know the sort of nomenclature and vernacular to be able to say something like that. Yeah, I also think someone who would come up with the idea of building a ruler app probably is... Could be you. That's true. That's true. You could build a competitor called iRule. I would have a competitive app that also just rules on if a joke is funny or not. <laughs> so a judgmental. Yes, app. it's a very judgmental. Mm, whoopsies. <laughs> I'm a Libra. I think that's part of our trait. Okay, so weights and measures mm-hmm. and conversions. What about you, Chris? What's your current most used favorite app right now? Although most used and favorite are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, I got to say... Uh, this is going to be old school because I'm an old guy, but Amazon. Only because I get calls from my children, college kids, my wife. We need this. We need that. And I'm just like, yeah, no problem. We got it. Just hit the button. It shows up. So okay, I'm not a real app-based guy. I'm not on social media or I'm definitely not measuring anything on airplanes. <laughs> so it's more just the convenience of... I need something that shows up. I know. Okay. Sorry. Well, you know, that's Nothing okay. cool. I mean, it was... That's okay. I have... Uh, every now and again, I have guests come back on the show, and um, there's a guest who comes on, and almost every time, he always... From the first time he was on the show, and then subsequently, he'll m- maybe talk about another app, but always give a shout-out to the app Shazam. Shazam? Which is one of the original, original, original old school. old school apps. I have Shazam on my phone, and I use it every now and again. You know, it's funny. Some of the apps that I think everyone uses, I don't know how to use. <laughs> like, does Shazam save the, the songs that you... It doesn't save the songs, but it'll save the list of the songs that you listen hmm. to. Okay. So you can track your history. And then in the original version, it just told you what song it was, but now it'll push you to links to where you can oh. acquire the song. I'm a kind of a weird millennial where uh, I will do things like I could edit a movie on my phone, but I just downloaded Spotify as an app and I don't have the Amazon app on my phone. That's mostly for like moral reasons, unself control. I'm trying not to buy things on you Amazon. Don't want to shop. 
It's too easy. <laughs> I'm trying not to shop slash get their packaging, but so also it's, it's the shopping thing. I know a lot of friends that get drunk, for example, and they just shop on Amazon, yeah. which is crazy <laughs> to this, me. This is a good segue, though, yeah. into the actual topic of the show, Amazon. We, the three of us had a phone call last week to talk through what we were going to talk about on the show. And Wenjay brought up a very good point when we talk, we were talking about why do farmers need to be online? Why do they need to have digital platforms? And there are a lot of different answers. Um, you know, farmers may be needing help to update their business, like anybody who has a job that is a specialty that's not IT. If you do something in life and your job is, in an, is not in IT, you need help being online. But Wenjay made a very good point in that today's consumer, whether you're a restaurant or a millennial or a parent, people have become used to and expect a certain amount of convenience and things that they can transact on a smartphone or on a computer. So much so that if a business is not able to transact online or on a digital platform, they're going to start losing more and more. And the Amazon thing is, I mean, Amazon thing, the Amazon is a company and an entity it's enormous and global. It's really difficult to avoid it if it's there. I mean, perhaps you by not even installing it onto your phone is a way to avoid it. I actually recently just did purchase some things on Amazon, which we can get into a little bit more of what you were saying about you know, the moral issue. I was buying books, and I bought all of them from used booksellers around the country. Mm. So one was out in California, and it was some book fund that funded something. One was another um, used bookseller in another part of the country. And, you know, they had the ratings and the stores, and, you know, they had done thousands and thousands of sales and the name, and you could visit the website of the shop. And I thought that that was great. So I tend to buy used books nowadays, um, because I don't think there's a need to buy new ones, and I prefer paper. But Amazon, yes, there's you know one side of the ledger where people find it very distressing, but there's a flip side to the ledger, which is very similar to what you both are doing with your businesses in that you're taking small businesses and small entities that don't have necessarily the wherewithal, the technology, or the budgets to create their own online platform, so you've created an online platform for them, probably similar to all the tiny little you know, use bookstores that I just bought books from. And I'm not, I'm not shaming, I'm not Amazon shaming anyone. I mean, I think every <laughs> single person uses Amazon, or most people use Amazon in this country. Um, you can buy the most random things, you know, like I use Amazon to buy, like... Stuff you can't find like anywhere. Macruit, like McCrute lime leaves, and then I'll also buy, like, uh, a gold corset, you know, like, it's completely random. But I think this, it's, even though Amazon is a company... It to me feels like a generation, because it's, it's a generation of e-commerce that has changed everything that we, the way we approach shopping, right? And Where we li- expect and then life. We expect everything to have free returns. We expect everything to have a two or one day shipping for free. For free, exactly. And those are things that. It's really hard, I think, for most people to understand the difference between a food, a produce item that's not shelf-stable, and a product that most people are purchasing. Most products on Amazon, most people are buying things like clothing or, you know, books, which it's easier to do that. It's easier to ship something for really cheap and, you know, like you don't have to think about 
the fragility of the product. Um, or the temperature chain. Temperature chains, and also if you're also talking about what kind of product you want, you know, if you're talking about the products that I think that Chris and I are working with, it's super, it's food that has to be grown in a slow manner with a lot of attention to detail for high quality. And to get that food really quickly to people on demand all the time and always getting what you want is in pristine condition In pristine condition is impossible. Like people, unfortunately, like you just can't get everything you want all the time when it comes to food, but every other product you can essentially get whatever you want. So So, it's kind of complicated. So Chris, you have the Amazon app on your phone and you use it at will. Did you think about Amazon when you were building farm? Absolutely. Um, you know, that translates. I want what I want. I want it now. You know, we're all in that boat. It's on demand. Um, why shouldn't chefs have that same ability for uh, the food that they're, you know, the ingredients they're using to cook the meals that we all want? Do we want our professional lives to catch up to our personal lives? Every chef, restaurant owner, person who works in a restaurant, staff, purchasing, they all have Amazon in private life. Sure. Why shouldn't they have it in their professional life? I mean, that's the point, right? So, you know, the system, the way it's set up now is for high volume, big food coming from, you know, an average 1,200 miles away from us. That just doesn't make any sense. So there's all this food within, you know, 150 uh, miles to three hours of us. And you're based in Atlanta. We're based in Atlanta. And what's the reach of your company? Because that really is... Three hours outside of Atlanta. This is kind of our window. You Which know, is a fantastic geography for amazing food. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's it's access over assets, you know. And, and why don't we have access to all this food that's closest to us? Why wouldn't I source that first? Fresher, faster, safer, you know. Um, and then the whole, you know, I don't want to pay more. And we talked about that before is, you know, Somehow the local food system got priced out of the market. Like, it's more expensive. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It should be... How did um, that happen? You know, I think because of the assets... How, did, are, a, how did a piece of fruit from New Zealand become less expensive than something from upstate Because it's New high York? volume, right? I mean, you got to think of the food system, right? It's industrialization of the food system. So it's all 18-wheelers and large warehouses and moving it through. And so we need to buy bulk and... You know, but but like you said, it's the food is um, highly curated products coming from these farms that, you know, blood, sweat, and tears has gone into, and you know they're not volume players. But why should they be locked out of the market? In fact, the demand is for their product, not for the fruit from New Zealand. Um, and and how do you do that without adding this, you know, huge, uh, you know, overhead cost on it to get that food to us? It's really a logistics problem. I mean, that's it's, the, it's the also end of the, day. the point of view of the middle business, because sometimes you know we were actually just before we went on the air, we were talking about the whole Grubhub website gate and the yeah. restaurant delivery services, and in many ways, they're they are the middle business that's just taking a cut to pass one thing from one to the next. So, in some instances inserting yourself into the you know transportation and sales process is just simply inserting yourself for profit but what do farmers tell you that they need in order to connect their businesses to the restaurant business sales and logistics mm-hmm. that you know we are a sales and logistics supply chain as a service if you will 
Um, you know, farmers typically are going through these middlemen, as you call them, um, you know, that own all the warehouses and the 18-wheelers that you see driving through, you know, city centers trying to deliver last-mile food. It's just not sustainable. Uh, it's not equitable for the farmers uh, or for the buyers. Um, you're, you know, you're putting um, constraints on how I get the food, when I can get the food. You know, all these things are optimized for the middle person, not for the buyer and the seller. Um, and so it was kind of re-engineering that to, um, you know, create more access to this food that's closest to us and to do it without, uh, you know, adding costs. In fact, we wanted to, you know, farmers get three times the profit margin when they sell direct versus wholesale. It's pretty simple. That's why they go to farmer's markets. Uh, but imagine this digital farmer's market that's focused on food service customers that want to buy, uh, you know, uh, larger, um, uh, you know, bulk items, um, but they don't want to buy, you know, a uh, half of an 18-wheeler. So there's some middle ground there that makes sense for them to be able to access this food at a cost-effective, in a cost-effective way, and, and that's sustainable. Um, and, and I think the transparency part is a big piece, too. You know, knowing where this food comes from, the reality is that, you know, we all are sitting here with wearing outer garments that we can tell you what uh, country origin these clothes were made from, but everything you ate today, you have no clue. Like, does it just Probably. seems backwards. Yeah. So both of you are talking to farmers in different parts of the country, and you both have a slightly, you know, you both have a different uh, platform and end user. Do you... What are the kinds of things that farmers are telling you that they want from technology or that they could use help with in terms of their online presence or their digital sales? Are they aware? Do they have Amazon in their pocket also and they want to figure out how to turn their farm into that? Or I, don't, I wouldn't say it's trying to turn their farm into Amazon. I think it's just, you know, I haven't met a farmer yet that didn't want to make more money. Uh, it's a tough business. Um, they definitely don't want to be in the delivery business and they don't want to be in the sales chasing checks and trying to get paid business. They want to farm. So, you know, how do you build a platform for them that's optimizing their business as well as the demand side, the chef, or even a grocery store who, um, you know, wants to buy from small farmers that are within a couple hours of them and be able to pro uh, provide those products to their con consumers Right, um, but again, they're they get forced into the high volume game too, where I can't buy your shishito peppers because you can only sell me two boxes of them. But when you start to aggregate all those that network of farmers together, you get a really um, you know dynamic marketplace that allows you to connect to these products much more quickly. I think when you just said network of farmers, I I want someone to build that. An online I built network. it. Yes, you built it. <laughs> well, it's a good plug for you. Um, because I definitely think last mile is last mile meaning for farms to get their produce into the destination they're trying to sell to, right? So in, for us, it's for New York City. No farm. I have not met one farmer. I met, I met some farmers that are okay with doing Instagram. I, I have not met one farmer that wants to deliver their produce into New York City. It's the worst thing for them. It's a struggle for local roots because 
we have lots of standards for the kinds of farms we work with. And then on top of all those standards is trying to find a farm who will deliver to New York City. So it's always my dream to have some kind of app where like farmers can somehow streamline those logistics for themselves, whether it means having this network of, hey, everyone upstate, if one farm is driving downstate to the city on a specific day, oh, I can piggyback on your deliveries. I can think of a million reasons why that's going to be a nightmare for logistics also. And some for like, you know, whatever. But that if, if someone can make that app work, it's great. And the problem is that I also think it's important for these networks because, you know, I know as a small business, if I had a strong network of other small businesses where we can constantly bounce ideas off of, share resources that be incredible, and why does it never happen between small businesses in New York City or small farmers upstate or Pennsylvania? It's because we're all small, small entities, and we're doing a million things in a day, every single day, and no one has the time to even collaborate, which is hard because like that's what we kind of all need to do to be successful and compete against larger corporations so i think for me it's if we can figure out a way to do last mile i know you're doing atlanta if we can figure out a way to do it in new york it would be wonderful she's right i mean it's it's the logistics that was the problem we solved and and ultimately for us it was you know what is in between us and this local food it's a bunch of warehouses you, you can't have farm to table if it's coming from warehouse. I just think that's stupid. So when you say you solved logistics, yeah. talk us through what the farmed platform entails, you know, what services you sure. offer and, and what the, um, you know, what the farmers are able to use and access in terms of running their business or just hand over to you in a sort of turnkey situation where then they don't have to worry about it. Correct. because. As you said, farmers want to farm and chefs want to cook and business people want to run businesses and nobody except the logistics and supply chain people want to do logistics and supply chain. Yeah, I I think when Jay said it, I mean, you know, it's how do we empower farmers to join together to, you know, kind of take back the control or, you know, be in control of their own destiny, right? You know, these farms are out there. Their stories are incredible. These are family generational farms. It's like, you you know, you. it's amazing some of the stories you hear. But nobody knows that because we're not actually connected to the food, right? We don't know any of these farmers. We, you know, just kind of go about our business and assume that there's tomatoes year-round. Well, there's not. We, we don't grow tomatoes year-round. Those are coming from different parts of the world and countries. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it gets that you get when you get disconnected from the food system and you don't really understand, you know, what it is that is around you, um, you know, I, I think we, we kind of turn a blind eye to what's really happening, which is these farmers are starving, right? In 1935, we had 7 million farms. We're down to 2 million today. 90% of those farms are still small family-owned farms, but they only produce 15% of the food we eat. That doesn't make any sense. And the reason is, is because they don't have the tools, the supply chain, uh, the sales teams, you know, big, big food does. And so how do we take, um, you know, these great entrepreneurial craftsmen, artists, I mean, I, you know, chefs are in the same boat and create this community for them to be able to connect in a scalable, seamless way. Um, 
that allows them to do what they need to do and kind of get rid of all the other noise. Um, and, and it's logistics. I mean, that was really the key component of the problem that had to be solved was if the food has to go to a warehouse and sit for three days and then be resold, marked up and resold, um, you know, the farmer's not getting any benefit from that. And, uh, you know, the demand side, you know, they're not really getting any benefit. There's no real value there. And so to create a marketplace, which is what we did to, you know, you know, put the value or give the value back to the folks that really mattered in the system, that's a game changer. I mean, that's changing logistically from a So sales there's no warehouse. There's no warehouse. The farm is the warehouse. So you have delivery trucks that go from every the farm morning. to the restaurants. So every morning we pick up from a different number of farms. We drop off at a different number of restaurants and some grocers. That changes every day. So we're doing dynamic, you know, daily route optimization. Um, How many trucks do you have now? In Atlanta, uh, about 15. You know, these are all independent contract drivers, refrigerated trucks. Uh, most actually vans are smaller, right? I'm so jealous. Yeah. I hit her 15. I was like, oh my God, that's incredible. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, if you look at the way that the food system is set up today, you've got all the wholesalers delivering the food and, you know, they're driving 25,000 pound trucks, CDLs. It, it's just, it's, again, it's set up for volume, not for the small producers. I just wanted to also say, I, I think as probably someone who is not in the industry, maybe people are wondering, like, well, what, why does it matter if it's going through a wholesaler, right? Like, why would it affect the end product? Because it's produce. It's an, it's an apple or some parsley or Right. So the more mushrooms. people food, the more stops your food goes from A to B, it starts deteriorating the quality of the food. The, it, it affects the flavor and affects the nutrition, Cross-contamination. Yeah, right. So it's it's changing the environment every time it stops from one place to another. So when you work with a distributor or someone who's keeping lots of food in a warehouse, right, it's usually sitting there for a couple of days because their business model usually is to buy a whole bunch of stuff at one That's time. Right. So they have inventory to sell to other people, which they're obviously buying things that are less ripe and they can't maintain quality of the inventory, which I just wanted to bring up in case people, you know, like it's a pretty nuanced thing I think to, well, under- to think about. There's actually, I, uh, surprisingly, I, I will I will illustrate the point, and then we're going to take a quick break. Today on Instagram, uh, I have a, I follow a woman who has a vegan pie company, vegan dessert company in the lower lower east side. It's called Rossum Treats, and she posts a lot of photos of the desserts that she makes, and she I posts think I a know lot that of girl. things. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Yeah, she's, she's a Muay Thai fighter. Yeah, she is. Yeah, that's how I know her. She is. I wrote about her for Bon Appetit magazine. Oh, fun. Yeah. Okay. She posted a photo of avocados that were uh, green on the outside and gray on the inside. And she said she opened up a whole bag of avocados and they were firm and green on the outside and they were gray and rotten on the inside. And when she tasted them, they tasted like potato. And she said that she'd never seen this, but why is this and what's happening? So there were a bunch of comments on her post from different people saying, in essence, it's probably the transportation cold chain. The avocados were probably frozen and thawed and frozen and thawed just because of the different refrigeration trucks and things that they went through because their point of origin was Peru. And so that's why the outside, they were picked 
green and not yet ripe, so they're green and hard, but at the interior, if it was frozen and thawed and frozen and thawed, it's basically created the air pockets, which then created it, you know, allowed it to sort of rot, which is exactly what you're talking about in terms of how food can deteriorate when the farther away it comes from, the more stops it, you know, takes, the more points of transit it has. And well, the, sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, when profit is your only goal, and that's the primary goal, that's what you're going to have, right? Um, meaning, you know, shelf life is the, mm-hmm. the name of the game. Mm-hmm. It's not fresh, high quality, right. the best. Like, why are we trying to make food not food? Yeah. You're not, exactly. you're, stop making food into a cup. It's not supposed to be shelf that's, stable. That's a different show. That's, that's the plant based show. Right. We did but last it's, week. A, it's a profit <laughs> thing, right? I mean, if, you're, if you can get frozen strawberries from Egypt for pennies on the dollar and resell them for a lot more money, that's that you know you have to pay dividends and there's stockholders well, and all and this stuff. And let's not forget that that happens with meat also. So yes. when you're oh, buying yeah. meat at the supermarket, it's been frozen and then dethawed. And your turkeys, a little plug because we sell fresh turkeys for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Your turkeys are like six months old, yes. and even if it says it's fresh, that doesn't mean it's never been frozen before. So it's frozen at the time of slaughter. And then it was dethawed, and the quality of that meat changes. Mm-hmm. That's right. And That's also, why your turkey's dry. Yes. That's why, you. dry. That's why your turkey's dry. That's why your turkey's dry. Well, we here at Heritage Radio are not for profit. We are actually a 501c3 nonprofit. We are a .org. We keep the lights on and the mics hot for the last 10 years. This is our 10th anniversary. We've been on the air for a decade, supported entirely by our members who are listeners like you, grants, and... Underwriters like this one. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by the University of California Press, publishers of Meat Planet, Artificial Flesh and the Future of Food by Benjamin Aldsworgaff. Neither an advocate nor a critic of cultured meat, Benjamin Aldsworgaff spent five years researching the phenomenon. In Meat Planet, Artificial Flesh and the Future of Food, he reveals how debates about lab-grown meat reach beyond debates about food, examining the links between appetite, growth, and capitalism. Could satiating the growing appetite for meat actually lead to our undoing? Are we simply using one technology to undo the damage caused by another? Like all problems in our food system, the meat problem is not merely a problem of production. It is intrinsically social and political, and it demands that we examine questions of justice and desirable modes of living in a shared and finite world. Pick up Meat Planet, Artificial Flesh, and the Future of Food by Benjamin Aldswergaft. Available now well, wherever books are sold. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of well, food and Well, if you're just technology. joining us and you're wondering what the We've been on the air since January 2015. Heritage Radio has been on the air for 10 years. It's our 10th anniversary, and we are throwing a party to celebrate. We're having a gala in November at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. If you want to come out and support us in real life, it would be great to meet listeners. I will be there. Matt will be there. Maybe. I'll be there. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe Chris will come back up north from Atlanta. You can get tickets at heritageradionetwork.org backslash gala. We have early bird tickets on sale until October 10th. 
after October 10th, you can use the code TECHBITES, all capital, all one word, and get a discount. We really hope to see you there. It is going to be a beautiful evening of delicious food. We also have party games. Love party games. Ring toss for wine bottles. Very popular. Definitely going to be there now. We have our own (laughs) resident DJ, DJ Cherish the Love, and all the Heritage Radio Network hosts. It's going to be a great night from now, from the current lineup, and from shows past. So it'll be great. I hope to see everybody there. If you are interested in getting some local roots, CSA, farm fresh product, and you're in the New York City area, check out localrootsnyc.com. They have all the information about what kinds of things you can get. You can get subscriptions. You can get starter kits. You can pick it up at one of their weekly pickup market spots. If you are a restaurant in the Atlanta area or a farmer and you're interested in farmed, they are farmd.com, farms. You can check them out there. It's pretty interesting. You have to sort of pick if you're a chef or a farmer and then dive into the details. Uh, But it's a pretty interesting thing. And I think Chris is looking to take it, take it national, right? Yes. Yeah. We're, I'm actually here in New York today. Not only to do the show, but to uh, meeting with uh, venture capitalists. I know that might be a bad word, but no, we've had we've had yeah, we've had uh, we money, need financial people on the show. We've even had some pitch shows where people pitch yeah. for money, which yeah. is always fun. Yeah, we need VCs, um, big ideas. You need folks to back that, and so yeah, we're here talking uh, some of our potential partners in San Fran and New York. But yeah, we wanna we wanna be able to go into. Cities all over the U.S. to unlock the access of all the food that's closest to us. I think you would have a a, a fan here if you came up to New York. Oh, when Jay is going to, we're going to be yeah. partners. She doesn't know it yet. But. I, oh my God! I was just thinking while you're talking. I was like, I wonder if I should be his partner in New yeah. York. She's going to be my partner. I need that last mile very badly. Yeah. That's the key. E- explain. Explain very. Uh, explain for the listeners who maybe I know you did it a little bit earlier, but just again to explain to folks listening what last mile means. So last mile means um, that last mile between the farm and where it's trying to sell their product to. And the reason why it's difficult if you're somewhere like New York City or Atlanta is that most farms don't, they want to be farming. They don't want to be stuck in a car, let alone do they want to be stuck in traffic in New York City getting parking tickets. So we've had farms actually, like um, our mushroom farmer a couple years back, he would have his staff from Pennsylvania drive to the border of um, New York City. Our staff would meet that driver. You would do a border handoff. Border <laughs> handoff. Like a drug deal. Yeah. Um, or a witness in the federal protection program yeah, or something. It. That's how much farmers do not want to be driving in New York City. And it's a real challenge for us because, like I said, like, you know, we're vetting farms on, are they within two hours of New York City? Are they beyond organic? Are they good people? Do they have good logistics? Do they have good communication? And then after we find those people, do they have good varieties? Do they have things that we can't find in the supermarkets? Does the food taste really good? And after that, then we have to ask questions, do you deliver to New York City? And then we're like, shit, no, you don't. Because most farmers don't, and they don't want to. And so it becomes a huge problem trying to source the best stuff for our customers. And we don't want to compromise on the quality or the morals and standards we have. So Last Mile is super hard. Last Mile would be a great name for a delivery company. That's true. 
I thought Farmed was better. <laughs> You're a logistics company. It's, I don't know. It just Ooh. sounds cool. Last Mile could be your the delivery direct. arm. Oh, La- Farm delivered. Last Mile could be the, uh, the, f- the fleet of vans. Mm. Well, we are actually building a fleet of vans. And, and so what we were talking about earlier was, you know, use smaller refrigerated vehicles, not 18-wheelers. You, you have, again, this big, high-volume, big food business that's um, built on infrastructure, capital-intensive, you know, all those things. Um, it's not capital efficient, blah, blah, blah. So it's how do you redefine that? How do you really re-engineer the food supply chain? And it's, okay, let's go to the smallest, you know, focus on the small food, but also in, you know, from a delivery perspective, you know, we use uh, sprinter vans and small mini refrigerated vans that can, you know, do twice as many deliveries, twice as fast, don't have to, you know, find parking when you're, you know, the logistical nightmares that go along with you know, big trucks. So, one Jay, you've had your business for uh, several years now. At this point, years, you're not yeah. a startup. No, I mean, <laughs> we've eight, been eight, for eight years. years eight but, years is know, veteran, veteran feels time. Like a startup. <laughs> what? What are some of the changes and things that you've seen over the past eight years running your business? In terms of what, though, like specifically? In terms of you know, just the marketplace. Have Have you mm. seen the marketplace change? Has Consumers change, more demand, less demand. Is it easier now that people are so much more accustomed to doing all of their shopping and purchasing online? Have you just gained business with the high, you know, the high tide raises all ships, so everything's online and apps, and has that just benefited you as well? Um, okay, I'm going to bring up a couple of topics. Okay. One, I was going to say that I, I think that in addition to last mile, a huge challenge is transparency. And very popular. If, yes. People want to have it. Not everyone does. So if there's any developers out there, hit me up to help me build this app. Um, I want to be able to show people what you're actually purchasing when you're purchasing a, a good, a well-grown vegetable, for example. Because I don't think, I think it would change people's value of understanding of food if How they How would understood. you show that to them? Well, you can say, okay, so say it's a carrot grown by one of our farms, right? You take that and you compare it to supermarket carrot and you can say, this carrot actually has X amount more nutrients in it. It has this much more sweetness in it. It does not, it's not, um, you know, spreading pollutants into the dirt. It's affecting your nutrition this way. You're going to, I think all these things you can actually with technology, if the money and time is spent into it, do the research and show people scientifically why local and regeneratively grown food is actually better for you and the environment. And no one knows it right now. And that's, it's been my mission for like, I think I started this mission like a year and a half ago of just trying to educate people on a deeper level of why this is really important and why it's a better product for you and the earth. But if we can show that in a very easy, digestible way. Like the side-by-side comparison side-by-side. on Instagram, for exactly. example. Yeah. Could work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I think that's one huge thing that's missing from our... It, in addition to that, sorry, I think, you know, before you were saying that something imported could be cheaper because of X, Y, and Z reasons, but I think a huge thing is that you don't know the values of that farm. I, I mean, the farms we work with, we know we're, they're paying their staff well, right? And that is a huge thing. And those morals that we all uphold as these small businesses within our food system, that's just 
that's the reason why the product is higher. It started with the coffee business where people started taking a look in a significant way at how their coffee beans were being grown. And then we have things like fair trade, which doesn't have anything to do with the taste of the product, but it has to do with the way the product was produced and made and the people who worked on it. It's funny that you say that. Uh, Thrive Coffee, a little shout out. Mm-hmm. It's one of my best friends, CEO and founder. Um, yeah, that's right. And, and Farm actually started uh, from that idea. Um, he did it with coffee. Uh, Thrive Farmers Coffee. Um, basic, same premise, right? You have all these coffee bean farmers in South America. They bring their coffee beans into the market. There's a middleman. There's brokers. You know, one thing's, you know, leads to another, and they're getting pennies on the dollar. It's really the same thing. Um, that actually exists, mm-hmm. and and there are are folks out there like Michael Jones who are, um, you know, reengineering that supply chain. Uh, it 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 translates into whether it's coffee, food. You know. We like to say transparency, but do we just mean educated and understanding actually what's happening? And, I and when we say transparency, does that imply that? There's an, of the opposite end of the spectrum of that is something that's trying to be hidden. This transparency imply that we're revealing something that was trying to be hidden or not? Because it, what you're talking about is just having an understanding of, just a clear understanding of the facts of the business and the product. I think that's a really great point in terms of also what I was thinking about trends I've seen, is that, yes, one might think organic food is now more popular and it's more available in the marketplace. But that doesn't necessarily mean that people are either purchasing those products because organic, the industry might be more profitable because that's more, there's more organic snacks out there. I don't know how many people are buying the organic produce, but then also I would say that I think it actually does hurt businesses like ours or smaller markets because if That's you go, become commodified also. Yeah, it gets screenwashed, right? Because right. people are thinking, oh, I can go to the Walmart and I'm getting local produce. I'm doing the right thing. It's also cheaper. So what the, what's the difference between that and local roots if they're also selling local produce? But there's a massive difference that it's hard for people to understand because it's I understand, because there's so much marketing around a Walmart product versus a small company like ours that is, yeah. So I, I think that even though organic could be trending right now, it's not necessarily meaning that the people who are buying their products or do they know the difference between one local versus the other local. It's also worth noting. I read an article a while back. This is going back years. There's a fairly well-known statistic that the amount of organic milk that is sold is greater than the amount of organic milk that is registered as produced. I haven't heard that, but that doesn't surprise Mm -hmm. me. Right. So, I mean, there's There's a lot of, (laughs) again, the whole food system is opaque and just a big shell game. Yeah. Let's be honest. Um, I think for us, transparency means... How about let's just start with where is the food coming from? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then, you know, who's the farmer behind that? What's your story? Why do you do what you do? I have yet to meet a farmer that does the exact same thing as another farmer, right? They all have their unique, uh, you know, tools, tricks of the trade, all those things. 
soils different. I mean, there's so many variations. These Microclimates, are, yeah, that's it's right. I mean, they're literally artists. It's a craft. It, it's so unique. And chefs are in the same boat. And so here you have these two. I call them the original entrepreneurs. I, I, I kind of feel yes. like you know restaurants God, are the original startups. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, this isn't like some foreign idea. Like God created us and food, and like we're supposed to eat the food that's around us, not. 1200 miles away um but i think that you know it's just starting with where does the food come from if we have again i'll go back to the clothing thing like i don't give a crap where my shirt came from i really don't you should well i'd rather i I would if if, (laughs) why not well how about tell me where the food that i'm putting in my body comes from first start in work from the inside out and then and then it'd it'd be good to know that my shirt came from Thailand. and i love shirts from you know all these other places but that to me is the biggest like you got to be kidding me you know that's i think the biggest piece of the puzzle is let's start to educate people where this food's coming from let them make choices you know connect with these farmers understand what they're doing or not doing for that matter and let the consumers pick winners and losers so i am happy to have you both on the show keep me posted on what's happening and as the businesses develop and if you two do get together and actually become partners in the New York City version of Farms, which would be very exciting also any app developments it also sounds like you need to start a farm focused tech accelerator for as you were saying earlier entrepreneurs need to get together and talk to each other which Mm -hmm. they often do we have incubators and accelerators that are focused towards food I've not heard one specifically towards farming, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. It's out there. Just message me on Instagram. We'll start it. We also have a lot of great farm food tech episodes in the archives of Tech Bites. We have a farm uh, crowdfunding company. We have um, other food funds for accelerators. We did a great episode on the Farm Simulator Esports League over the summer, which is crazy. It's an e-game on farming. Oh my God. I heard that was I've like wildly popular. It's, yeah. it's so popular. They're having their own tournament. I, it's it's insane. I, it's I a great that. episode. I and it's that. also a fun one because we did, it was a collaboration with Meet and 3. And so there's some um, interview packages and things like that. It's oh a little different from the, from the standard Tech Bytes episode. I want to, again, thank my guest, Chris D'Amico coming from Atlanta to talk about Farmed. They are farmed.com. You can find them on social media at Get Farmed. It is B2B. So if you're a farmer or a restaurant or a VC person, reach out to him. We have Wen J. Wing's Local Roots NYC. She's at Local Roots NYC and .com. Again, hybrid CSA type subscription and just order online. You can get it delivered. You can go pick it up and meet people. Um, it's you know, basically the farm how you want it, when you want it, which is great. And I think, you know, kind of close to the Amazon model that we were talking about. If you love Tech Bites, come back and visit with us on Tuesdays at 6.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you missed the live show, you can find us on heritageradionetwork.org in the archives or on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, all the great podcasting platforms. If you really, really love it and you can't live without it, Come to the gala. Become a member. Donate some money. Keep us on the air. We'd love to make 10 more years of food radio. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bites.
This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.